Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, October 29th. As I promised yesterday, we are well aware at Cracked Rackets. There was tons of tennis this past weekend to talk about with the Charlottesville Char- Challenger coming up this week, the kickoff of the Australian Open Wildcard Challenge. We wanted to replay the interview I did with Mike Cation from a few weeks back to get you listeners set for all of that action going on this week. But on this podcast today. We're talking ATP and WTA strictly, and there is no person I would rather do that with. There are a couple others who I would also do it with equally, but certainly no one I would rather do that with than the former four-star tennis recruiting dot net player, one of our favorite writers, of course, at Cracked Rackets, and the co-host of the Wednesday Mini Break podcast with Jamie McDonald, Matt the Cracks the Koyak. Matty, welcome back to the Mini Break. Ruskin, what's going on, buddy? It's been far too long <laughs> once again, man. My thoughts were literally yesterday is, wow, there's a lot of tennis I could talk about on my own. Because we finished last night's GSP Best of the Decade at like 1.30 a.m. And I was like, do I really want to do 15 minutes by myself? And I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to save that, talk about it with Matt, because I know he has takes going into this home stretch. Oh, yeah. You know it, man. I'm excited. So let's start with the WTA today, and as I, uh, actually before we get into any specific event, just to set the scene again for you listeners, the three events we're going to be talking about on the front half of this, and then we actually have a very fun back half interview talking about uh, a co- uh, some college tennis, of course, that I'll get into a little bit later, but the three events we are circling, the WTA Elite Trophy event in Zhuhai, affectionately referred to, w, you know, the WTA Finals Light, those players ranked 9 through, or I guess not 9 in this case, but 10 through 20 who didn't get into that WTA Finals but have one more chance to get a big result for themselves, earn some points for themselves, build some momentum going into the 2020 year. We, of course, also had the two ATP 500 events in Basel, in Vienna, uh, and, of course, with ATP World Tour final implications in those events as as well as some compelling tournaments. There's tons to discuss there. But I want to start in Zhuhai with the WTA Elite Trophy event. As I mentioned, a really fun field uh, in this year's event. It's a 12-player field and so it was four groups of three in terms of who we got on the ch- uh, on the event this year uh let, let's start with our winners let's just get right into the final a, a really significant in a result in my opinion in that Sabalenka's 6-4-6-2 win over Kiki Bertens will propel her in the live rankings now to number 12 uh in the live rankings I believe that is you know, right, maybe one spot lower than she ended last year at number 11. And given the fact that she spent two thirds of the season, I mean, first round exit or for second match losses, this was such a good finish for her. This really gets her right back on track come 2020. Yeah. And, and look, Ruskin, you know that Sabalenka is one of my absolute favorite players on the WTA Tour. I mean, I try to talk about her a lot when we, um, you know, we have grand slams, and she's always one of my trendy picks to go very deep. I like her a lot, and I, and I really think, you know, when you watch her play, 
you can just see the game is there uh, to, to be top 10 in the world. There's no question about it. She has that ability. Uh, but like you mentioned, it's been a rough year. And really, I had huge expectations for Sabalenka coming into to 2019. Um, I thought it was going to be, you know, kind of an extension of her breakout year last year um, where she really made a name for herself. I thought she was going to continue that, and and it was tough. So to see her come through and get a result like this at the end of the year, big event over Kiki Burtons, who's been playing great tennis all year. Um, I think it just it, it goes to show that Sabalenka has that ability, man. It's, it's there. It's just I, I think her problem has always been more mental than physical. I mean, she's a physical beast. She she can run around the court, hit the ball ridiculously hard. She's got all the power. Um, you know, where where she loses it sometimes is mentally. And and she was able to stay the course over last weekend and she won the title. So I was I was very happy to see that result for her. I'll try not to plug this too often, but on our best of the decade great shot podcast, which was released yesterday. Matt Zemek and I talked about those WTA players in the 2010s who came closest but ultimately came up short in terms of winning a Grand Slam for themselves. Now, Sabalenka did not qualify for that conversation because she hasn't had that success rate at the Grand Slams. You look at her results there throughout her career thus far. Uh, you know, she's never made it past a fourth round. That's the best she did at the 2018 U.S. Open. But uh, in terms of this field, look, again, the 12-player field was stacked. You had Keys, Burtons, Vekic, Zhang, Sabalenka, Sakar. Uh, Kennan, Risk, Yastremska, Mertens, uh, just, you know, so many, Martich, I should say, and Mukova, so a really quality field of 12, and for Sabalenka, she didn't just beat Mertens, you know, she beat Sakari, who had a great year herself, 6-3, in terms of knocking out Mertens, she did that, 6-4, 3-6, 7-5, she goes to the semifinals, beats Sabalenka 5-6 as well, and then obviously, she gets the straight set wins over Mertens, she got better and better as this event goes on, and again, to end the year, not only did she have a ton of points on the line, but to defend her title in Wuhan, get that sort of result given where her year was, that was a huge win. And now to get this WTA Elite Trophy. I mean, she is she's not in the top 10, which I'm sure where she's want, she broke it earlier this year and when she was scripting the season for herself, that's probably where she wanted to end. But she's a player who, as many young, talented players as there are on the WTA, we've seen a level from her when she is playing her best tennis that very few can match. And so I, I'm very—I think she's going to be a major player to watch come 2020. Could be one of the swing players on the WTA. Yeah, no, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And, and for me, I, if, you know, there's no excuse not to be in the top 10. I mean, I think— Anything outside of that, you know, is a disappointment. And so I know she'll be disappointed with her year. Next year, she, she's got to stay in that top 10. It, the ability's there. I just, I really like her game. And every time I watch her, it's, she's fun to watch. And I enjoy watching her play. But, um, you know, she can get frustrated on the court sometimes. You know, the mental game can, can come into play. So that's where I, I think if she can take a step forward there, I mean, the sky's the limit, man. She should be contending at Grand Slams. We should be talking about her deep in week twos, you know, when it comes to these slams. I just, I I really believe that. And she's 21 years old. 
I mean, so right. it's okay that she hasn't done it yet. She's got a ton of time in front of her, and that's what's so promising is that she has shown that sort of level at, you know, not necessarily Grand Slam level events, but in this elite trophy event that's a high-level event uh, in terms of, you know, Wuhan going there and winning that event twice. That's a high-level talented event. So she's had those sort of bits and pieces. Well, she also, I should say, U.S. Open doubles champion in 2019, not something to take lightly. I mean, that's the sort of experience. She went semifinals, quarterfinals, champions this year in doubles. So that's the sort of thing you can build on. Um, but yeah, I, so Sabalenka is such an exciting result. In terms of some of the other players from this result, you know, look, as much as we could talk about the semifinalists in Mukova and Zhang and their runs there, the last player I want to talk about is Kiki Bertens, who did come up in our Great Shot podcast discussion yesterday. Now, in terms of Kiki Bertens, she's going to end the year in the live rankings at number eight, which is not uh, her career high of number four, but still to have a top 10 finish to her season incredible result for the 27-year-old. And that's the big number, right? 27. And you look at her results uh, over her career, particular at the slams. That's why she's uh, she came up when she did. You know, she's made two quarterfinals, in 20, one in 2015, one in 2016. Hasn't made it past the fourth round since uh, the 2016 French Open quarterfinal that she made. She's had success. You know, she went and won a Cincinnati. She went and made the final, or she went and won a Madrid this year as well, made the semifinals at the China Open, semifinals at the Italian Open as well. She's a fantastic player, but there are so many talented young players, and we talked about this, again, a ton on our Great Job podcast, so I won't get into it too much now. But she's playing really good tennis, and she could build on this, come out hot in Australia, make a semifinal there, and it would not shock me at all. No, completely agree. I mean, it, it and she should get to that point. I mean, Top 10 player, eight in the world, like you mentioned right now. She's been more consistent, right? Like Sabalenka, she's been up and down. And and Kiki Burtons has been really pretty consistent. And I mean, when you're top 10, you know, we can talk about the parody in the women's game. It is interesting that she hasn't gotten past, what'd you say, the fourth round of a major? Mm -hmm. Um, 2018 US Open. In singles, in singles. In singles, right. That That's, it's crazy to think about that because... Kiki Burton's shows a level week in and week out that's really, really high. She's got a very high level. And so for her to not even make the quarters, that's it just goes to show you the parity in the women's game. But like you mentioned, I could easily see her deep in the second week, semis, even the finals of a slam. And I'm not going to be surprised because that's just how the women's game goes. And when we think about all those players at the top, Kiki Burton's is right there with, with the rest of them. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I don't know if you said Burton. It's Sabalenka who's never made it past a fourth round. Um, so just to clarify there. But yeah, it. you're absolutely right. That's why... Given the way, I mean, look, there's a whole WTA Finals event that we know is underway that we're going to save for a podcast later in the week. Look, that's the fun of the mini break. There's so many stories, different storylines, results, and controversies that it fills a full week. So we will get into the WTA Finals and the Paris Masters events tomorrow because there still is a little bit of tennis left on both of those calendars. Uh, But again, I want to talk quickly about the two ATP 500 events. Let's start in Vienna. Everyone starts with Roger Federer. I'm going to start with my man, Dominic Team, who with his title here... Gets his fifth on the season and takes the lead on the ATP Tour for most titles during this calendar year. Uh, Now, 
with all due respect to Diego Schwartzman, who put together one incredible performance, you know, dating to his second round win, 6-7-6-4-7-6 over Sam Query, beats Hatchinov or Kiachinov, 7-6-6-2, knocks off Gael Monfils, who had played really well the week, although had been the benefit, certainly a beneficiary of a great draw, but knocks off Monfils 3-2, and two, plays a really great final against Dominic Team. So I'm sorry to get that all out of the way, Matt, and to cut off that part of the narrative. As much as I love a fellow Jewish tennis player in Diego Schwartzman, but there are two big narratives for me that came out of this event. Uh, we'll get to Dominic Team, but because it's you on the line, let's start with our semifinalist, Matteo Berrettini, who in knocking off Kyle Edmund, Grigor Dimitrov, and Andrei Rublev in the fashion that he did, has put himself on the precipice of the ATP Finals. Uh, he is now, right now, in the race number eight, heading into this Paris final round. Now, there are a couple of other guys who can catch him, and again, we'll talk about that storyline of who's going to catch him, that race to the end, in a future episode. But Berrettini specific, I saw a point on Twitter made that if Medvedev hadn't had the year he's had, we would be talking so much more about this young 23-year-old Italian. You are someone, Matt Stokowiak, who has been talking about him the entire season. Uh, how does it feel to you? Is, are, you feel, are you taking a victory lap at this point? Oh, of course I'm taking a victory lap. I saw this guy's potential literally before anybody else. I'm telling you, he was ranked outside the top 200 in the world when I first saw him play, and I just... I love this guy. From the minute I saw him play, I knew that he had enormous potential. And, and you know, it's just it's coming to fruition now. I mean, we see him. His serve is so, so difficult. Um, you know, he has the huge groundies. His movement, obviously, you know, for a guy that's 6'5", he doesn't move that swiftly. You know, that's an area of his game that, that needs to be improved. Can I just—sorry to cut you off because on that point, it's not that he's just 6'5", it's that he's 6'5", listed at 209. That's like the NBA where it's very generous. You know, the, that's his wedding weight. In reality, he's probably closer to 220. I mean, he is a thick guy, but yeah. that, that fitness thing, that's part of his strengths, right? The cannon of a serve and the cannon. Yes, beforehand. exactly. And when you when you have major weapons like that, you can compete on the ATP tour. You just can. When you serve like that and have a forehand, you're going to you're going to be in there. So I just I think it's great. He's played phenomenal tennis. Um, I knew he'd be able to get to that point. I didn't know if it was going to happen quite like it did this year so fast. Um, but I'm just I'm happy for him. And he he really should have beaten Dominic Team in the semis here. He he had Team on the ropes, up a set, up in the second set. Team really had to fight his way out of that match, and it was impressive for Dominic Team because he was he was struggling. Berrettini was really frustrating him, and and for Dominic Team to find his way and get through that match on his way to the title in Vienna uh, w- was really impressive because we know how good Berrettini's playing. Yeah, and we will get to the team point, but just to round off this Berrettini thing, look, he has his two titles this season. They came in Budapest, outdoor on clay, and then they came in Stuttgart, Stuttgart, outdoor on grass. Now, that's not his best results of the year. Obviously, he made the U.S. Open semifinal on a hard court as well. So even with those physical concerns about him being this big guy and, you know, to play that sort of big style of tennis, reminiscent of a Burdich, except for Burdich, a little bit better of a backhand, Berrettini much more uh, susceptible, or not susceptible, but much more likely to hit a drop shot, move forward to the net. He does things a little bit differently than that, but just the big physicality of of his game. That's sort of what it reminds me of. Um, however, that being said, it, it, you know, 
he does it across surfaces. So I don't know how you can look at a 23-year-old season like this. Now, it's a lot to live up to next year. It's going to be very hard to duplicate that sort of success, 42-20 and 20 on the year. You know, that means you're winning two matches and losing the third each and every week. That's like quarterfinals, semifinals on average, and that's a fantastic average. That's why he's top 10, but... You know, it's so much harder to defend those points than it is to... Oh, that's not true. It's definitely the hardest to break through, but it's just as hard to defend those points. So it, it's just going to... He's another guy to circle almost for the opposite reasons of Sabalenka. It's like, okay, this was his big breakthrough year. It was like Sabalenka coming into 2019. It's like, now what are right. you going to do? Yep. Yeah, couldn't agree more, man. And I, I think he's going to do it. Obviously, I'm back in Berrettini. <laughs> you know, I'm ta- I'm going to the grave with that, man. That's my guy. And I'm sticking with him no matter what. So if you pick I, I a think- single upset at the Australian Open draw, it'll be Berrettini over someone. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not a bad call. You know what? We'll, we'll visit that when, it, when the time comes, okay? <laughs> yeah, I agree. No, but you mentioned how impressive it was for Dominic Team to beat a Matteo Berrettini playing that well. 3-6, 7-5. 6-3. Team then goes on, as I mentioned, to win the final over Schwartzman. 3-6, 6-4, That being one of three uh, three-set victories. Team got this week, the other being over Verdasco in the second round. I believe the first win of his career over the lefty Verdasco. But for Dominic Team, I mentioned it. Five titles on the year. He's 45-16. and 16. Now, we did a best-of-the-decade series on the best seasons of the 2010s, and that's not going to qualify. But that he made five titles, that there's the French Open final appearance in there as well. This was a jump forward from Dominic Team. He has been a top-10 player before. I get that, but he was one of the five best players in 2019, and it was across surfaces, or at least two surfaces, which is, you know, more consistency. It's the consistency you need to be a a perennial top five player. He disappears on grass, though. It seems like every year, like we... we, Yeah, but that's a month. Who cares? Take July off. I know. I know. I just... it's, It's weird, though, because he's never a factor. Like, during grass court season, we don't talk about him at all. Like, he's a non factor during that time. And I just for a top five player in the world, like I'd really like to have him in those conversations. But, you know, when it comes to hard courts and and clay, obviously, I mean, he's he's up there with the best of them. And I just, you know, I've said many times, it's only a matter of time. He will win, I I think, multiple French Open titles throughout his career. I think it's coming as soon as that Rafa Nadal guy gets out of the way. Uh, (laughs) Team team is going to be the guy at the French Open he just is he's shown he can get to the finals there there's really one guy that's standing in his way um and we all know who that is so yeah team man I mean he's just he's a he's a beast that's really the best way to describe him he's he's an absolute beast so we'll play an abridged version of possible or Alex you're effing crazy Dominic team or Daniil Medvedev the leader in the clubhouse of players to win the next Grand Slam that aren't in the big four well, or would you say co-leaders? If, maybe, but it—I I think it depends what slam we're talking about here. Well, Australia comes first. You know okay. the order. Well, then, then I would—I would go with Daniil Medvedev. Really? Okay. I, yep. Okay. I would. But then, it, right after that, though, if we're looking to the French Open, Dominic Team, all sure. all day. So, th- those would be my picks. Would be if I had to choose someone, Medvedev. Um, at Australia team at the French. See, these are the tangents that would have Jamie in a panic attack in terms of the amount of time we spend, but 
Yeah, the the question that what that question comes down to partially is: Do you think in 2020 Novak Djokovic will be better on a hard court than Rafa Nadal is on a clay court? And do you think the gap right now between prime Novak and the best form of Daniil Medvedev on a hard court is bigger than the gap between Rafa Nadal and the best Dominic team on a clay court? And that is a really interesting question going into 2020 that I know we will talk about more. But yeah, I. I don't think the Medvedev, given how good Medvedev's been, you know, I said team has the most titles at five. Medvedev's got the most finals at nine. He's Andrescu-esque in the amount of the fact that he doesn't lose before finals post-Wimbledon. And it's a really good stretch of that. We Probably the best stretch we've seen of any next-gen player. So yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating little thing to monitor as we head into 2020. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. We do have some college tennis to discuss, so I want to talk about our last professional event. I, of course, am talking about the event in Basel, where the one and only Roger Federer goes ahead and wins his 103rd title of all time. He wins his uh, 10th uh, Basel title of his career in defeating Alex Dimenauer in the final, 6-2-6-2. I I want to talk about the Dimenauer part in a second, but... I mean, Roger Federer, 51-8, and eight, four titles, efficient. I mean, this is why when you make the GOAT, it's like, yeah, he had these seasons at age 38. It's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. You know I was happy when he won that. I mean, he just looked so good. It was like, man, he just looks so comfortable when he's playing in Basel. That that indoor, that court surface, I just feel like suits him so well. He's so comfortable. And man, did he look good last week. He looked really good, man. I mean, some of the shots that he was coming up with, I just, I mean, it brought me back some years. I was like, holy cow, that that's a little bit like vintage Roger, man. Some of the stuff that he was coming up with. Um, so, I mean, obviously he played phenomenal. He didn't drop a set all week long now. He got the stand with Wawrinka withdrawal in the quarterfinals. And having watched Stan play that match against Tiafo, I was telling someone privately, I'll show the text if listeners want, but I was like, I guarantee you Stan pulls out. Like, there's no way he's going to play Roger in this state. And yeah, the way Roger, I mean, Stefano Tsitsipas is tired, but the way Roger dusted him off 4-4, four and four, it just so efficiently, the fact that it felt like Alex Dimenauer could not penetrate the court no matter what he tried. In that final against Federer, just the way Federer sliced and diced that backhand got Dimenauer. Didn't give anything in Dimenauer's strike zone, and because Dimenauer doesn't generate the most natural power himself unless he's really snapping into the ball going for winners, which is not how he wants to play. Federer got a lot of opportunities to attack, and you're right. It was vintage, inside-in, Roger Federer stuff. But for Alex Dimenauer to make the first, I believe, ATP 500 final of his career, gets wins over Delian, Fritz, Struff, and Opelka, so all big servers uh, over the course of his time. That's 7-6-6-7-7-6 win over Opelka. I mean, it's just a different brand of tennis than the others, but for Alex Dimenauer, I believe he became like the second— Australian of born nineteen ninety five or later. It's like him and Kyrgios, and I think like Tomic are the last three to have cracked the top twenty as Australians. And in the ATP race, Alex Dimenauer sits right now at number eighteen. So it's you know he needs to win Paris and have a lot of other things happen. But I think he's still able to qualify under a dream scenario. And it's like yeah, 
he has been one of the 20 best players on tour this season. Yeah, for sure. He's a factor. I love watching him play. I love everything about him. I love his attitude, um, just the way that he grinds and goes about his business. He, he's a different kind of player. I mean, there's not a ton of players that are, are quite like him. You know, with his body type and just the way that he plays, he's a little different. And I just, I really enjoy watching him. I love what he's about. And he's a factor, man. I mean, obviously making this 500 uh, final you can't overlook the guy. I mean, I know he's not the biggest. I know he's not the strongest, but he, every tournament, he's not a guy that you want to see uh, in your draw. He's just not, and he will be a factor in the coming years. He's not going anywhere. I just, I, I love what he's about. He just, this matchup against Roger was was just a bad matchup for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, wrong surface, wrong location, wrong time. You know, the game style, it, it didn't match up, and Roger just had his way. It was it was very routine. But, you know, that match aside, I mean, Demonor has the ability to win those tight matches against an Opelka, you know, a guy that can just serve out of his mind. And, and Demon can still come through. So I think top and, 20, no, no question is, about it. And it was also on an indoor hard court. Like, he broke Stroop. Yes. He broke Fritz. He broke. Yes. Oh, he only broke Opelka once and he, Opelka broke back, but three tiebreakers. And, and Dimenauer, who is six foot, six foot one, but compared to those guys, seems mm, tiny. He's, le- he's not even six feet, man. I saw him a year ago at Winston Salem. Uh, yeah, but it's been a year. He's still in puberty. Well, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm six feet tall, Gruskin. There is no ah. way. There is no way that Dimenauer is. is any taller than six feet, six foot max, probably more like 5'11". Well, I'll say this. In terms of the next possible or Alex, you're effing crazy. Who's taller, you or Dimenauer, and are either of you over six feet? That's Alex, you're effing crazy. I hate to say it, Maddie. <laughs> okay. hate to say it. <laughs> okay. All right, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. I am telling you. That's fair. And just real quick, I mentioned this last week, and we will have to do this in two seconds because we really have to bring in our next guest. But for Riley Opelka, his last seven, I think, indoor results were last year. He won Knoxville. He won Champagne Challengers, semifinals in Dallas. He won the New York Open, semifinals in Tokyo, semifinals here, and then he lost first round in Stockholm. But, I mean, is there any reason to think, and quick answer here, but any reason to think this guy's not going to be a top 20 threat, especially on indoor hard courts? Like, I feel like the beginning and the end of the year, that's going to be prime Riley Opelka territory. Yeah, for sure. No, he definitely is. He, he, yeah. He's a big time threat. Yeah, and I mean, wins here over Garen, over Gofen, over Bautista, Goot, and then the three-set loss to Dimenauer. That's a high level from Opelka, but okay. With that in mind, we are going to take a quick commercial break before we get into the final part of our conversation, which I think you listeners are really going to enjoy, especially those of you who are college tennis fans. So stick around, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast. As we mentioned before we went to break, a little something a little bit different we want to do today and something we are going to be moving forward, uh, doing every week moving forward until the start of the college tennis season. For those of you who follow our website, CrackedRackets.com, you guys know Matt Stachowiak, our favorite writer who is still on the podcast with us every year in this time. He likes to w- talk about the college tennis teams that will be the ones to watch come 2020 season. He, of course, breaks down the top 
top 10 teams by the ITA rankings in a series we call the College Contender Series. Uh, Matt, before we even talk about the team you talked about this week, you want to give our listeners a little bit of a framework of what they should expect? Yeah, so how this series works is I'm going to take the top 10 teams from the end of last year or or the preseason top 10 from this year, um, and we're going to do one a week, and we're going to talk about the teams. We're going to go over um, stats from last year, how they finished up, um, rosters, outlooks, um, you know, how I think they're going to do overall, take a look at their schedule, um, and just really try to break everything down. Um, and talk about how they're going to do for this upcoming year. So it'll be one per week um, starting uh, today, actually, is our is our first one. And, of course, given that we have the podcast component, we are going to bring Mac on every night before, uh, you know, and so this podcast will be released on the same day his article is released. That way him and I can talk about what he's going to say. I can push him on any takes that he's harboring going into the year. But because, you know, as much as Matt and I love to talk college tennis, there is one authority in the college tennis world that we both turn to when it's time for the season to begin. He is the third member of this holy trinity of college tennis coverage here at Crack Rackets. The grandfather of the Crack Rackets podcast universe. Of course, you will know his fantastic work at collegetennisranks.com. You may also know him as a lifelong diehard fan of Liberty Men's Tennis. We are thrilled to bring back on the podcast to help us talk about today's College Contender Series. Chris Halioris, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast. Westoff, give me an applause, please. Man, th- thanks, Alex. I mean, I think that's the, the, so the first intro where I wasn't your mom's favorite guest. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the subtle, I mean, ever so subtle grandfather day. I mean, all at once he got me. <laughs> well, look, some things have changed over these past few months. We've had a lot of guests. I think Vicky Duvall, who's now a regular, she's going to take the cake. I'm sorry, Chris. That's just that's who my mom loves. But in ter- you know, in terms of the grandfather jokes, some things never change. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but of course, Chris, we are so thrilled to have you back on and, you know, we, you and I are going to do a best of the decades college version podcast on the GSP later. There's also a ton of ITA fall events to discuss the ITA all Americans, quick cracked interviews plugged. We've talked to a lot of those champions. Those will be coming throughout the week. Ashley Leahy, uh, the women's doubles champions, Jesse Gong and Sam Martinelli. Uh, we had NCAA champion Paul Jubb. That'll be out later this week as well. So there are some big issues, Chris, Matt, that I know we'll want to talk about and we're going to set aside today. Let's get into the College Contender Series. Matt, who is our first team to kick off this event? Number 10, we're kicking it off with TCU, the Horn Frogs. All right, I, I like it. So how about we do it like this? As much as Chris is probably well-suited to this, Matt, give me the initial rundown. What was your thinking? What is this article going to look like about this season? <clears throat> well, here's my, here's my overlook. I mean, obviously— Losing Rybakov is going to sting, right? I mean, we're talking about a perennial top 10 player, a guy that was absolutely one of the best players in college tennis, uh, you know, had the ability to really beat anybody on any given day. And when you lose a guy like that, who's, who's really your leader on and off the court, uh, it's tough. And then, you know, Reese Stalder was also a guy that was a big contributor, singles and doubles, excellent doubles player. Um, so they have a couple of losses uh, that they're going to have to they're going to have to fill those voids. Um, it's going to be a younger team. Uh, there, there's several freshmen uh, on the roster this year that are coming in that that are going to have to produce. 
Um, so it, it's going to be a, a different looking team. Obviously, Alistair Gray is still there. He's been around for several years now. We know what he can do. Um, but Coach Roditi, he, he's up there with the best of the best. So if anybody can coach his guys up and get them ready, um, you know, I, I trust that he'll be able to do it. And of course, they bring back Famba. They bring back Jung as well. But just so you listeners know, the initial uh, impulse for me to call Chris, ask if he would take play, uh, part in this podcast, and hopefully Chris will be able to have you on every week as we do these breakdowns. That is why we love you so much here at the Crack Rackets Universe. Um, but you know, I texted you. I think Matt's doing TCU first. And immediately I got an essay from you. So he talked about the young players. Can you tell me without, I, you know, I'm not going to give away your full take, but why are you excited about this TCU men's team? Oh, man, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say when you have so many freshmen. But, you know, I've, I've lived the, uh, the, the lineup full of freshmen making the Sweet 16 with my old guys, right? These, this <laughs> freshman class for TCU is unbelievable. So you lose Stalder and Rybakov. And, yeah, it's tough losing Rybakov, but I would venture to say this team might be better. All right. Uh, give me, give me the case. Teams, a lot, not, not a lot of teams from last year are getting better, but these guys are getting better. And they may – you know, Gray, Gray may still play two. Uh, they may play one of the freshmen at one. I mean, they've got three kids coming in at – you know, like they're like 13-5 or better UTRs. They're they're outstanding freshman class. So, and, you know, and I had texted you at one point, hey, you know, bold, bold thing to say, but our defending national champions could possibly be the fourth best team in Texas. Uh, <laughs> so I would, just for our listeners, I want to give you guys a little look behind the text. And I'm, I'm very certain I sent this same text to Stokowiak, but I said, and this was a hot take I was forming. So I, this isn't my actual thoughts. This was just, I like to send them takes to keep them on their toes. Um, but I said, Texas is last year's wake. Siskard plus Ito equals Gojo plus Free Sokos. The question is, do they have a boxer up their sleeve and how do their new guys compare? <laughs> Chris's response, no chance. One, <laughs> Gojo greater than Siskard. Two, no botzer. Not even close at this point. Yep. But from there, he talked a little bit about some more Texas stuff, and I think we may have Bruce Burke on soon. So it was all very positive, Bruce, I swear. Um, but after that, he goes, mark my words, the team to watch out for in Texas is TCU. Why, you know, outside, make the case, why are they the team to watch out for? Because there is, you know, so much reliance on freshmen, but what is it about them that make them stand out in that group of great Texas schools? Well, I mean, you've, you've got three freshmen that are going to play top five uh, right there, and you've got Gray and Famba back, right? Now, who knows what order those those top four, you know, they're going to play Gray at one or two, and Parallax probably the other spot at one or two. Then you got Famba at three, four, along with Jerasek at three, four, and then you got a freshman from Great Britain and Fernley, and then you've got the guys from last year, Kruger, Jong. Hell, Jong, we saw it indoors, looked phenomenal indoors, right? He's sitting number seven right now. That's crazy. Um, yeah, it is. And that's what if Kruger plays six and Kruger was solid at four last year and he may play five and Fernley six. But I mean, these guys have been great and they've played even the freshmen have played very well in the fall, but in both the futures and and the uh, ITA events they've played. So, uh, you know, they're, and the reason for them is they're so deep. You go that deep. If you're playing potentially Kruger at six, who was a solid four last year or Fernley at six, who's the freshman, which may be more likely. Uh, you know, the other teams aren't that – Texas is not that deep. 
Uh, Baylor right now, not that deep. A&M, eh, they're close, but they're not that deep. Uh, I mean, TCU is just so deep. Yeah, and for Matt, in terms of your thinking for this series, I know you're going by order of the preseason or maybe last year's final ITA rankings, but in your general field, TCU at number 10, did that feel too high or did that feel too low? Um, I mean, maybe a little too low. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's too high. I mean, I I well, I think they're I think they're definitely a top ten team. There's no question about it. Um, you know, in the past, I've I've always TCU has been the team that I've I've underestimated. And you'll guys, you know, you'll remember from last year, TCU is always my upset pick. I'm always like, well, if I need to pick an upset, who who's <laughs> playing TCU, right? I mean, and I would say that a lot, but. I've got to learn from that, and I can't. This year, I'm not going to take that mindset. Um, I really think they can do some great things. I just don't know, though. Three freshmen in your top six. I know they're very good, but that always gives me just a little bit of pause. You know, when they get into Big Twelve play, the the, the conference is so good. They're a top ten team. Are they? Are they a top five? You know, national title favorite. I, I can't go that far right now. There, there's a few other teams that I definitely have ahead of them, um, but they, I definitely think they're top ten for sure. Chris, Chris, we were talking and you were we were discussing before the pod about best teams in Texas and. Uh, for the sake of this conversation, we're going to exclude Texas A&M because unlike last year's outline, I know now for sure that they are in the SEC. Um, but in terms of the Big 12 schools, t- TCU is going to be competing with because Matt's absolutely right. That's the make or break part of their season. Baylor, Texas, who I don't think we give enough credit to defending national champions so because it's so hard to win a title. And that Texas title was really unexpected. So from for the rest of the year until they're not, I'm going to do, address them as defending NCAA champions, the Texas men's Longhorns, uh, them, a Baylor team that are they going to get Brooksby? Maybe not, but who knows? They have a lot of other pieces coming back as well. They just signed a new recruit today, according to a par- bomb. And you know, Brian Bullen's always cooking stuff up there. Um, and then, you know, you've got this TCU team. You've also got a Texas uh, Tech team. You've got Oklahoma. You've got Oklahoma State. So how does this TCU team, in your opinion, stack up in that Big 12 conference? As far as I'm concerned, they're the preseason favorite. Uh, really? I, I, I go TCU one. The problem the other schools have, so 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 Bay, Baylor right now, yeah, they got Alex Garcia today, which is a big sign for them, but... There's, and I, I will say, for the record, I'm in the no way Brooksby shows up in January. Right? <laughs> Assuming Brooksby doesn't show up in January, which would be huge if he did, they're really shallow. I mean, they don't, they don't have the depth. They've, they've got, so they got Garcia coming in. You know, they got so- Soto back, who's got to be playing one. Boyton, probably two, Law, three. And Law's had been, a good fall. Law yeah, has had a good fall. He won the regionals, but the, but yeah, and and he can play. Uh, but but then it, it it starts going down, and and Finn Bass has had a decent uh, a, a decent fall as well. But it's it's still it's not the same caliber as as the guys uh, anywhere close to that that TCU's got in there. So I, I and then and you have the same depth problems right now uh, at Texas, right? You got Sig Gardito, and then you know they've got one of the freshmen looks pretty good. Um, and then Chi Chi Wong and then 
five, six is same boat, right? There, you got a whole handful of guys that are, you know, kind of in the hunt, but they're not, it's not same, not that same caliber. So, so yeah, I, I think, uh, I think TCU has got to be the odds on favorite. Now, who knows what, you know, what Bowling can pull in. If he, if he can get another January recruit or he gets Brooksby to come back, then it's a different story maybe. Uh, but sure. But right now they're favorites. What would you say on that, Matt? Where would you have them in the Big 12, uh, Big 12 right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, Chris has started to sway me a li- uh, just a little bit I know. here. I this mean, was the danger of getting him on the podcast before the article's released. Is it's like, now we got to push it back 24 hours and make some adjustments. Well, no, it's not that. It's just, I and I've even, you know... Uh, in the article, I, I have that, um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever if, if TCU wins the Big 12. It's just, it's a tall order. Every year, that conference is tough. And I just, I've yet to see any of these freshmen play on a, on a really big stage in college tennis. I mean, obviously, they haven't yet. So, um, I'll be interested to see, you know, what they can do come dual match season. But... In regards to the depth of all those other teams, when you really break it down that way, I mean, it appears as though TCU has a solid leg up uh, talking about depth, and that is huge. I mean, if you can win at five and six, you know, you're giving yourself a great chance to win. So I I can't – it's hard for me to say that TCU is the absolute odds-on favorite to win win the conference – but it certainly won't shock me if they do. They're, they're up there one, one or two for sure. To the point you made, it's very hard to know what these teams will look like. And Chris and I talked about this again in our pre-show call. I honestly just wanted to make sure Chris wasn't going to be rusty. So I was throwing takes at him just so you listeners know. And he responded quite well. Uh, so that was a positive. But, you know, one of the big things for all of these teams with new talent is it's what's your doubles lineup going to look like? What are the combinations you can find? And then you're right. Do you, it's your one singles. Are you the powerhouses? One is just as important as we saw from Texas last year and from those Virginia teams when you can be dynamite at four, five, and six. That's just as important. Now, you talk about we haven't really gotten to see the freshmen play uh, team dual matches. And my internet is being very uncooperative right now. But, Chris, are there any fall results in particular from these freshmen that have jumped out to you to get you so excited well yeah i mean parallax had some some really good uh really good fall results including both ita and and futures i mean you look at just like like the last the last 25k he played he goes down in a third set to liam brody who's you know very good he beats val vastro he beats lloyd glasspool who's another very good uh you know, tour level, futures level player. Um, he's he's had some really really good results. He 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 did have to go three with Sven La earlier this year, but he did take La out. Um, but but he's I think the the biggest disappointing match he's had at, that I've seen from him I think was at the All Americans. He lost to Sondergaard, and that was not a not a good uh, not a good loss for him. But see that that gives me some pause right there. I mean. You know, because he's got the college uniform on. Isn't it crazy, Chris? Like, sometimes these guys, they play futures, and they look so good, but then when they throw that uniform on, there, there's a different pressure involved in that. We've seen it happen before. Yeah, and we're going to find out, you know, we're going to find out quick with these guys because the 
a lot of times for those big 12 schools, they get quite a while because with only six schools, right, they it's not till very late in the year that they actually get into the conference season. But uh, but TCU actually stuck. They go their first three matches in February after the ITA kickoff at Michigan, at Virginia, North Carolina. They're coming to my Wolverines. So, look, we should have said this at the beginning, full disclosure, David Roditi, Alex Rybakov, now a grad, but Alistair Gray as well, friends of the program. You know, guys I have texted outside of just our Cracked Interviews conversation. But, you know, for a TCU team, last year we saw them go to the indoors. On, well, I guess you don't care about this anymore given you're a Liberty fan, but they beat Mississippi State, the number two seed, oh. in that first round after, you know, they, they hadn't made the indoors a couple of years before. So sometimes with TCU, you don't know if they're going to be ready for the indoors. You don't know if that's going to be their best surface. And with a young team, given that's that's going to be a big national exposure moment for them to get a chance to see a lot of those other top teams, that's a huge learning experience for Coach Rodidi and his Horn Frogs. And it did feel like over the past couple of years for Coach Roditi, they were always a player too short. The match that screams out in my head, one of the, the first and maybe only time the three of us have all been at the same place, when that TCU team in Winston-Salem a couple of years ago, you know, as good as Rybakov was at the top of the lineup, as good as Stalder was at four. I'm trying to think, God, this is how I'm blanking out. Who played two? And I, he's a short guy, was a, a huge competitor, I believe. Guillermo uh, Nunez. Yes, thank you. Guillermo Nunez at at three. You know, that was that was a really good team, but they were short at five and six. And that seems like it's not going to be the case this year. Yeah, well, to be fair, they lost their five and six going into NCAAs, which were like Kurzban and somebody and and they, they had to bring two guys that hadn't even played. I mean, they knew they were done there. But and, that that's what happens, right, is for when injuries happen, now that they have a guy number seven, right, John comes in and fills in and you feel comfortable. Exactly, yeah. They're not, they're not hurting on the depth chart this year for sure. Which is uh, different things. And so for this TCU team, I guess, yeah, a question to you here again, Chris, is for the indoors, do you worry? Because I mean, what is TCU? They're number 10, so they're going to get to host a kickoff regional event. Now that Michigan match... I don't think Michigan's going to make your college contender series, but I will say the ITA number one newcomer of the freshman newcomer of the year on the men's side is a Michigan player. So I'll take a little bow here on behalf of the Wolverines. But, um, you know, for the indoors, I guess, Chris, do you expect to see TCU there? I don't think we've had the indoor draft yet, but uh, would you expect to see them in the final site in Madison? Oh, uh, you talk well. Madison is the yeah. Oh, for indoors, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they they get Florida Atlantic and then probably Notre Dame. Uh, so that that's their road to getting to indoors. Uh, so ab- absolutely, they'll they, they they should win. I mean, Notre Dame could put up a fight, but TCU should be fine. Yeah, and that that's an experienced Notre Dame team, and I'm sure that match will be outdoors. I should say the draft did happen. I can't believe it. It was back all those moons ago. God, that. That really yep. did feel like ages ago. Um, yeah, so there's a whole lot for them. I guess for you, Matt, what will be the things? And then, you know, I, I told you we were going to try and keep this one under an hour. I think we might actually keep this under 30 minutes, guys. And that'll be the theme. Again, we're going to do this for all the contenders. But, Matt, what will be the things you're watching as the season begins from this TCU team? Well, just the freshmen. I mean, right, we, we know what Alistair Gray can do. Um, we saw Famba last year. We know what he's about. For me, my eyes are on the freshmen, and I'm going to be watching them closely uh, to see how they perform in a dual-match environment 
it's definitely different, you know, than the futures. We can talk about the futures and, you know, those are important, but college tennis is crazy, man. So we'll see how it shakes out. But it seems to me uh, like this TCU team just has the ability to get a lot better as the season goes on. Right, guys? I mean, if, if they stay healthy, these freshmen are going to get matches. They go to indoors. They may not perform all that well at, at national indoors, but you know what? It's going to be a hell of an experience for those guys. And then by the time they get into Big 12 play, if, if they're rolling and they're healthy, then yeah, look out. So I just think this team has the potential to get a lot better as the season wears on. And as big of a hole as losing Rybakov is, they still have a senior in Alistair Gray. They've got a junior in Burtis Kruger, guys with serious playing experience. So same question to you, Chris. What will be the things you watch? Maybe, you know, some more, is it, you know, a five and six? How are they going to organize everything up down there? How are they going to organize things up top? What will be the things you watch from this TCU team as they get ready to, you know, start the dual match season? Yeah, I think I think it's I think they're top freshmen. I don't he's going to be good no matter what. I think I'm going to be looking to see how how the other two do and in particular Fernley, the kid from Great Britain. He's actually turned in he's turned in some really good results. He beat right he beat Rinky uh mm-hmm. for you know the the North Carolina standout for the freshman. Um and he's had some other some other great results. He's beaten some of his own teammates. He beat Bamba, he beat Gray. Um some some good results from him. I, but I'll definitely, I, I'm with Matt there. We just got to watch the freshmen because you, you know, they're all going to go through growing pains, uh, being freshmen coming into college tennis right out, right out of the gate. And they'll have some great matches and then they're probably going to throw, you know, a, a couple dogs out there. And it's just how they, how they come back from that. But that big 12 season is so late. They don't even play the big 12 season to like the very end of March that they've got plenty of time to get, get those guys ready. Uh, and they should be, you know, we'll have a really good feel of, of what those guys are like by, by the time we get there. And again, hanging over everything this season, same format as last year. You host the Sweet 16 Super Regional, and so for a young team, you know, TCU last year, given they had elder or older players, especially at the top of their lineup, they were able to go to the place that shall not be named and get a win in the round of 16. That was for you, Chris. Um, but, you know, for them this year, being that top eight seed, I feel like it's that much more important. So yeah, they're going to be tested early on with tough matches and It'd be really interesting to see. You know, there's no one who's a bigger gamer than David Roditi. And Matt, you are absolutely right to your point that when you have a young team and particularly a young, well-coached team, they inevitably get better over the course of the season. And so as doubles pairings get to find out, as people solidify who plays where and when, that's the sort of thing that will make TCU a really fun team to monitor. Now, I'm not going to ask for grand predictions for this TCU thing from you guys. I feel like we'll save that as we get closer to January. Um... Well, I, I guess in terms of NCAA perspectives, you don't have to give me an exact round, but what are your expectations for this team in terms of the NCAA tournament? We'll start with you, Matt, and then go right to you, Chris. I mean, I definitely think quarters, you know, I, I think they can host that super regional and, and get to Oklahoma and, and be a top eight team. I, I definitely think that's in the cards. Um, there's no question that they'll have the ability to do that. It's just when you get to that point, right, so we're down to the final eight, you know, are they going to have to match up with a Florida or a North Carolina or, you know, a team like that? That's where I get a little bit more uh, hesitant to, to say that they're going to go any further. So I'd say comfortably, you know, I think they'll be able to reach the quarters. 
anything past that, it, it's possible, but there, there's a lot to sort out, you know, before then. So it's tough to say. Chris, same question. Yes, I, I would. I would say qu- anything short of the quarters would be a disappointment for these guys. I fully expect to see them in the quarters, uh, and I, I, I think they they have a really good shot at making the semis. But it, but again, it's to, to Matt's point. It really kind of depends on where they. You know, if they can come in as the four or five great shot if they come in as the eight and have to play florida or north carolina which would be one of the two teams i would expect to be the top two then you know then it, it get it can be done but it's definitely tougher but if they're in that four five four five six range for sure i like their chances a lot of making the semis uh, i was gonna try and scoot by and just transition to our next topic but i'll give you guys my thoughts as well it would be rude if i did not um Chris, you make a good argument. I mean, it's so freshman dependent, right? And we saw in a team last year, and, you know, Inglidson and Perez, maybe, and Crawford, probably a little bit stronger than returning Kruger, Jong, and Gray. Uh, so you don't want to make the Florida comparison, because especially because Riffis, Greif, uh, what they throw in Andrade, Valley, just Florida had so many. I think they went nine deep last year, right? So you don't want to make the comparison to that team directly. Uh, but it's always fun to have a team of with lots of talent, talent that has performed well in the fall. And then, again, and a guy of Luke Famba, who's a sophomore, like that was a kid who got better and better as last year went on as well. He put together a really good season playing you know, between the four and five singles position. So don't sleep on him making a second-year jump, which we see happen with a lot of good college tennis players. I think the goal has to be be a host of a Super Regional. I mean, without question. It's be one of those top eight seeds now. There are a lot of other good teams that we'll get into in the weeks to come. So I'm not ready to say that this is a semifinals team, but I am absolutely ready to say that this is a team that should be competing uh, for one of those top eight seeds come NCAA time. But with that in mind, uh, enough TCU. Because there's been a little bit of lapse of time, it doesn't feel like we should hold on to this. So I want to ask you both, since I have you here, uh, let's start Chris then Matt. Chris, any takeaways from this fall play, ITA All-Americans that have jumped out to you that you've been dying to talk about? Oh, I don't know that I've been dying to talk about it. <laughs> I think we'll probably get into the All-Americans at some point, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, that's kind of the big the big fall tournament and, and no surprises. But, man, I, I, I think the thing that's going to be interesting to me there, I mean, Yuya Ito looks outstanding. Can they actually play him at two again? Ah, I mean, yes, they can. I, I mean, yeah, okay, Tony Bresky could, but <laughs> um, but no, I yeah, I don't. I mean, he's he's he has looked uh, he's looked outstanding. So uh, and then uh, you know, I, I think there you know most of the rest of the the results I've seen, you know, there's not, there hasn't been anything too too terribly surprising we'll get to see you know a little more look at the uh, at the fall national championships but uh, but um, we're really we'll wait till january and see what happens come kickoff time any team and then man i promise we'll get to you, but any team chris in particular that's jumped that sounds like it's tcu but any team who put up results this fall and you're like okay that's one i'll be watching now yeah well you know yeah tcu for sure that's been kind of that's been kind of my uh my sleeper if you will but uh, but the one I'm really looking forward to forward to seeing as well is is Texas A&M. They've got their solid top four back, and they've got some guys making some moves 
you know, they, it's who's going to be playing five and six. And like Austin Averett's had a, had a really good uh, fall here. So if they can get a, somebody, you know, to step up in those five, six spots, that team could be really, really good with the solid top four they got coming back. So I'm looking forward to see what, what they can do as well. Matt, same question to you. If you just Nick made that run to the finals and you haven't been able to get over it since, what about, what have you been watching? Yeah, no, I mean, overall, I I agree with Chris. I mean, there hasn't been anything that we've seen yet this fall that's been too crazy. I I think we got to wait till January. You know, remember, there's a lot of guys that aren't playing in the fall, you know, right? So there's going to be a lot of guys that come back in January, and that's when things are going to get really, really spicy. So um, it's been a good fall. I mean, Ito is, man, I just, I didn't realize before, you know, NCAAs last year, I never gave that kid enough credit, man. I mean, Ito can really play. I mean, he's a baller, so I enjoy watching him play. Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting with Texas. I just, they, I think they lost too many pieces. They're not going to be the same championship team uh, from a year ago. But we'll see what happens come January, man. It's going to be fun, and hopefully uh, the ACC's good. You know, I'll be... Uh, all over the ACC as usual. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up some guys not playing college events in the fall because my last take, this Ohio State team, I mean, between I know McNally's not Wolf, but McNally, Selig, Kingsley, Boulez, I mean, uh, you can go uh, Cash and just all, there's so much, so many different accumulate, uh, so much accumulated talent, Trotter as well, who I got to see play at the Columbus uh, Challenger indoors. And I know NCAs isn't indoors, and that's always a storyline with the Buckeyes. And after getting hurt by them at last year's NCAs, people will probably be hesitant to jump on their bandwagon as quickly because that team was so dominant during the regular season when they had J.J. Wolf in the lineup. But that team in Columbus is special. I mean, there's so much accumulated talent there again. So that's a team I will be watching closely. Not as closely as my Michigan Wolverines, who we'll get into at a later date, I'm sure, again. But uh, a team I will definitely be monitoring closely. But with that in mind, before we sign off, uh, as always, I will ask you, because there's so much going on in the tennis world between the college tennis, between the professional tennis, if uh, you have missed out on the, any of the action, you want to read Matt's College Contenders article, be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, on the podcast front this podcast the great shot podcast with our best of the decade series again yesterday with matt zemek that was part one part two of the wta players who came closest to winning a slam that will come out wednesday so be on the lookout for that cracked interviews wise i mentioned all the college players we've had you know you know the list by now so go check those out like rate subscribe view as i've been saying the things you can do in the 15 second time period uh to go you know that it takes to go write a rating for chris you know he can go through the tcu results he can flip between mississippi state loyola mississippi state uh not loyola liberty excuse me men's tennis back and forth and back and forth uh, that's it in that amount of time you can go get the rating for matt i mean you can make that decision in those 15 seconds you know what i do have to go to the bathroom and in that case i'm going to read matt's article while i'm in the bathroom because let's be honest that's what we're all doing while we're in there uh so those are the sort of things you could do and if you want me to stop making these jokes again Go leave the ratings. I see the downloads. Not all of you are leaving ratings. So get that done, and I will stop bringing this up. But I also have to give a shout-out to our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westhoff, who, as always, have a f- of an editing job to do. Uh, Chris, again, I'm, I'm hoping we can get you back on here for all these college contenders down the home stretch. 
any any time, Alex. And you know, you're, you're like right down the street from me now. So, you know, it's, it's easy. I know. You're in my home district. You got to come kiss the ring. It's Ann Arbor, right? We got a challenger in January. Yeah. But more importantly, we get Chris Hallior's for September, October, and November. So it's just, it's a great time to be in Ann Arbor right now. But uh, Maddie, again, I know college contenders coming out this week. Anything else to be on the lookout for? Yeah, no, it's it's been a pleasure, guys, as always. Always love talking some tennis with you, so uh, we'll do it again. All right, well then, with that in mind, for my lovely co-hosts, Matt Stokowiak and Chris Hallioris, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire teams at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, you may be rusty. Matt, we'll see if we can get it all in sync on time, but what do we tell our listeners? That's a break. Chris? <laughs> That's the break. I love it, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, guys.